In this inaugural episode, I talked with Jatin Mehta, a popular science communicator. At the heart of this discussion is a question of how we get more people interested in space. Jatin does this by providing a comprehensive summary of humanity's leap back to the moon. We also talk about his writing process and then cover various re-energized public missions to the moon, from Artemis to Chandrayaan to Changi. South Korea's space program gets an honorable mention. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Talk to Jatan. Welcome to the first episode of uh, Traveling Through Space. And I have uh, Jatan Mehta as a guest today. Um, we have a lot of overlap. We have, uh, you know, been in touch for a while. Um, but let me give you a formal introduction. Um, you are a you know, science communicator. Um, you've been writing prolifically. Uh, your weekly Moon Monday has been uh, read uh, almost worldwide, um, and you have written for various publications, including Nature, most recently, um, and you'll be a, a guest speaker at uh, various institutions as well. Um, and all this information, will I'll definitely link it as well. Um, but let me ask you, did I miss anything? Because you've been active in this space for a while. Uh, no, not really. You've covered it well. Uh, I think... The only thing I'd add is, uh, other than Moon Monday, I'd also write a monthly Indian Space Progress newsletter, uh, you know, to 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 capture the uh, progress that we are doing in Indian space at large. Uh, but of course, Moon Monday is my flagship writing, rightly, and and, and you rightly pointed it out as well. Yeah, thank you yeah. for that. Absolutely. Um, and I mentioned the overlap, and um, to uh, to be honest, when when I started writing, uh, it was it was helpful to have your writing uh, and your thoughts in, in in place to to you know publicly uh, uh, you know have them available to read and and sort of served as a guide for me as, as I started writing. So uh, definitely appreciate that. Um, and our last chat was forty minutes. I still felt very short. So. Um, there is a lot of <laughs> a lot of ground to cover, um, and in terms of uh, what I wanted to get through today was you know talk about you know your writing process, um, get your get your thoughts on various space programs that that uh, are ongoing uh, um, with relation to Moon, um, but I, I guess you know one place to start is uh, you know how do we get more people interested in in space um that's something that i've been thinking about um and a lot of the whys make sense like you know there's a lot of reasons to do it um well, what's your take on you know how do you get more people interested hmm. so yeah i mean it's certainly a hard question because uh there's uh even though we live in a world where we have a lot of science communication happening of late compared to before um the sci-fi movies like a ton of them and whatnot so it's not like exposure is not really a problem but the correct exposure is the problem so the i think uh from my perspective i would say that we need to get people to look up at the moon more often uh, as a start uh but not just look up you know also do something with it for example have more uh you know sidewalk astronomy events where people can look up at the moon through telescopes uh because usually what happens with uh at least on my side of the uh, uh world where 
whenever there are local astronomy events or telescope gazing events, they tend to avoid the moon because the moon tends to, you know, be bright enough to be a burden for most people wanting to look up at the stars. But stars are not the only thing up in the sky. And, uh, you know, the moon is right out there and it's very visible. Um, and if you just, um, you know, talk to people uh, with a good uh, elevator pitch, then you can rope them into a great conversation from, from everything from Apollo to Artemis and uh, Chandrayaan and everything in between. So I think just just looking up at the looking up at the moon presents an ample opportunity that's largely untapped. Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and uh, it's it's so visible that sometimes you tend to take it for granted, and and exactly. yet it's amazing <laughs> that it sort of exists. And, uh, you know, this is our partner uh, in the sky. Well, that was awesome. Uh, talking about your writing process, and I'm just curious, you know, you, um, you're working on a timeline. Um, and uh, with, with Moon Monday, it's, it's a weekly uh, uh, newsletter, but you also have, have to work with publications and they have that timeline. So not getting too much into your process is curious. How do you keep yourself uh, on schedule? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So actually, I don't mind talking about my process because, in fact, I think that's, uh, if anything, being transparent about the process is useful. Uh, and I wish many more people did it. And as you yourself noted uh, earlier in this uh, talk, that, uh, you know, you you happen to benefit from stuff that I just happened to put out. And that's the idea that I have with blogging myself anyway. Like, I love writing and I love writing on the internet. And it doesn't matter what I'm writing about. Obviously, space is what I write about the most. And that's what I love the most. But it's not the only thing I write about. So, uh, but yeah, it's like I think looking at the result uh, of what you write and how you write, and if it's out there, it makes it easier for people to find stuff. So, yeah, so let's, let's circle back to the process for Moon Monday. Well, it's, uh, largely speaking, it's accumulation of... Uh, you know, a culmination of a lot of these systems that I've managed to develop and inculcate over the years. For example, one is uh, just writing something every week. So that happened over a few years when I was uh, trying to write about space regularly. Uh, the first time I tried to do that was after, uh, right after my master's in 2017. And uh, that's when I thought I'd, you know, I'd, I'd write a uh, blog about space wherein doesn't matter what the topic is, doesn't matter how ready the uh, articles are, I'll push something out once a week. Uh, and it also doesn't matter what the length of it is, right? So that uh, sowed the seed for me starting to write something regularly. And then subsequently, I did some projects, uh, writing projects, which uh, also had some sort of a timeline. Um, and that sort of uh, reinforced that habit of, you know, planning to write regularly because as mm -hmm. soon as you start, uh, you know, start with that deadline lingering over your head, you start to plan things accordingly in advance and then it, right. you know, gives you, uh, and then, then you suddenly find time that you didn't have before. Uh, so that's one, but that's only the habit part of it, like, you know, or, or the scheduling part of it. The other part is having an RSS reader so I use this, uh, like I don't um, follow news or updates via social media at all practically, 
I yeah. whatever I want to follow, I subscribe to everything in an RSS reader, new like websites, blogs, newsletter sources, and even some social media feeds that I must take a look at. All of them go in my RSS reader. There are a ton out there. Uh, any one of them is useful, whichever you prefer. But the idea is that um, with that, what happens is I put all of my 150 to 100 sources, uh, most of which are space related, into uh, this feed reader. And then it allows you to organize your sources uh, by tags and folders. Uh, and then also search across them or browse via category or uh, apply filters up top and so on. So what this does is that if you do this, uh, all of your information that you need to scan every single day or week is in one place beside each other. Uh, so that also helps with get, getting context. For example, uh, if three news publications have covered the same thing uh, or the same news event. Uh, you get to see how all, all all three of them are, you know, differing in their uh, perspective or take. Anyway, so when you have this system, what happens is it brings everything in one place, gives you more context, saves you time. And the only thing you need to do systematically is go through them every day or week or whatever schedule you set for yourself. So for every Moon Monday issue, I essentially start with, you know, perusing through all of these headlines and then picking which ones to read. Um so that I start on uh, around Wednesday or Thursday of the week. Uh, and then that process keeps on going through as the news trickles in. Uh, so that's the second part of the equation. The third part of the equation is uh, when I do go through these things, uh, I take a lot of notes. Uh, so whatever, uh, because I, I'm most likely to forget most of what I read, right? I mean, most right. everyone does that. So, <laughs> so whatever <laughs> things are all... Uh, note and the sense of which you uh, start getting more and more the more and more you write uh, so it's a it's it's a gradual process but eventually you learn to pick out the most relevant parts with relativities so yeah. as in when I circle like you know some circle through these uh, articles I, I will take uh, take notes of them uh, or even copy paste them in my notes app to see uh, you know as to um, you know this is the quote from this article and so on and uh, and then all of those notes will accumulate in one place in one folder, uh, and then I will start a new Monday uh, draft in my blogs editor, and, mm -hmm. and then go through the notes and uh, uh, reorganize them in some sequence. So that reorganizing happens in a app called Workflowy, uh, which allows you, which is a type of a bullet note taking system. So it, you can freely uh, drag and drop entire body of uh, entire chunks of text uh, with is and that lets you reflow uh, everything according to the uh, flow of the article or you know um, newsletter that you want and so everything goes in there i uh, set my flow there and then based on that draft i will start writing the moon monday newsletter and then uh, once i'm done writing it i will go through a couple of editing rounds um, add images uh, do refinements uh, and and then just hit publish so that's this is broadly the the process I follow for you know uh, writing Moon Monday. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And, and 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 any search that happens to uh, that has to happen for you know writing about topics uh, is part of the writing process. So uh, I don't usually I don't uh, sit around to uh, search separately because for a newsletter that has to go out every Monday and for most of the news that comes on. Uh, as you go, as time goes, that it doesn't afford a lot of room to sit down and research for 
thing is before you can tackle that topic. So, for example, if the Chandrayaan three orbiter, um, the propulsion module when it came back from lunar orbit to Earth orbit, and ISRO just suddenly announced it like out of the blue, uh, mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of time to uh, sit down and think about it, and you know. Uh, write a whole article about it. So the search process for it and reaching out to your sources and all of that has to happen on the go. So it also helps you to maintain a list of um, website sources as well as people sources that you could reach out to uh, for you know getting a, a quick fact check or two. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, and your point about sort of distilling all this information coming in makes a lot of sense. Because there's so much information uh, and so many sources to gather from. And I think that's why Moon Monday has been uh, so successful, is that you're able to bring all of that information together and present it in a more, uh, I guess, more coherent way, uh, which sort of makes sense. Um, does it ever feel like a chore? Does it feel like, you know, you have to motivate some days yourself? Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, I, I'm a human after all, so certainly, yeah, sometimes for sure. For example, Towards the end of last year, uh, it, it was starting to feel very much like a chore because uh, the year had been uh, intense, uh, full of writing. And so towards the end, I was sort of uh, losing the rhythm a bit. But uh, yeah, yeah, so it does feel like a chore quite a few times. But not, but most of the times it does not because of these systems and the fact that uh, I, I love writing about it anyway. And the, what, what the system does is actually help me uh, enjoy the thing more because once the system is in place and once I have the habit or discipline in place, uh, it will no longer feel like a task, uh, right? Because it's actually saving me time so that I can also do some other things uh, right. and also enjoy the writing itself. So for the most part, it doesn't, but sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's another good point that you have to enjoy to actually uh, write publicly and and on a schedule as well. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, now, let's switch towards, uh, you know, the various moon missions that are, uh, you know, in planning stages that are underway. Um, if you don't mind starting with, you know, just few uh, high level points from like NASA's plan with Artemis and, you know, Artemis 2 coming in, um, if you can just explain that a little bit. Sure. So this, um, well, this decade is special in the sense that uh, you know, NASA is executing its long-sought plan to return to the moon uh, for real. I mean, uh, ever since Apollo, there have been many talks uh, and also some momentum with the Constellation program early on, but nothing really got executed properly, per se, until this decade, where we actually saw Artemis 1 launch last year, where NASA sent a, sent a crew-capable spacecraft around the moon. Uh, and not last year, 2022, well, it's already 2024, but yeah, uh, NASA sent a crew-capable spacecraft called Orion around the moon in 2022, uh, and it performed remarkably well, and it was essentially a test for future missions that NASA would do in which it would put crew, uh, starting with Artemis II, which, uh, if all goes well, will uh, likely launch next year, sometime next year, and there will be four people aboard Artemis II, and they will. They, the mission is very similar to, not the same as, but similar to Apollo 8, right. uh, who were the first people to fly around the moon. So Artemis 2 is somewhat similar, although the trajectory is not quite uh, the same, but in essence, it, it's similar. 
And Artemis II itself is a precursor to Artemis III, uh, wherein NASA would land humans on the moon. Um, so the landing part itself would be um, handled by SpaceX's Starship, uh, in particular, the lunar variant of the Starship. So mm-hmm. it's NASA and SpaceX call it the human landing system, uh, HLS for short. And uh, basically, NASA competitively contracted this land, uh, this this um, critical piece of Artemis III out to SpaceX and who defeated Blue Origin and a Dynatics-led team to, to get this contract for you know landing humans on the moon after 50 years, after over 50 years. So that's a big win for SpaceX. Uh, at the same time, it's very exciting for the lunar community because unlike the um, Apollo landers, the, the SpaceX uh, HLS Starship is huge. Like it's really massive, and uh, that in itself is a very, uh, very visible sign of how just how different Artemis is compared to Apollo. Right. right. I mean, it's a uh, there. There are many aspects of Artemis that are very different from Apollo, but I, I don't think anything other than uh, the HLS Starship uh, visually represents that or embodies that uh, better. Uh, right. So, so what we are seeing with Artemis is that. The many of the elements, or not all, but many of the elements, uh, this time around should be, uh, you know, uh, should be easier to manufacture in ways that you know you can either send them uh, fast enough uh, on a budget, like you can send, uh, let's say, one or two. uh, Sorry, let's say you can send a crewed mission a year or, or or every two or three years eventually. Uh, and certainly with Starship and the Blue Origins, Blue Moon crew lander, which will uh, land Artemis Five astronauts on the moon, uh, between both of them, the hope is also that they could probably land uh, astronauts on the moon every year or so mm-hmm. in the 2030s. So basically, the idea with this long time frame is that, you know, NASA is, this time around, it's not about, you know, just getting to the moon and, right. today, you know. Starting and come uh, back, right. All right, come back and keep going uh, again and again and increase that rhythm and so on. So a lot of the pieces, while it would take time to get that rhythm of, you know, let's say landing once a year uh, or having, you know, longer stays, for example. So most Apollo missions uh, stayed for like three days on the moon, right? Three Earth Mm -hmm. days. Uh, But with Artemis 3, it's already 6.5 Earth days uh, on the HLS Starship. And with Artemis 4, it's going to be up to almost a month uh, on the moon, right? And with Artemis 5, also a month and so on. So a month is going to be the minimum requirement that NASA has starting with Artemis 4 crew missions. Right. And of course, at the same time, there's also the uh, gateway lunar orbital station that NASA is about to launch sometime next year. And uh, astronauts will visit it later this decade starting later this decade, and those will have uh, astronauts staying uh, inside them. Like the, the the gateway will have astronauts staying inside them for much longer than even the surface missions. So right. basically, we are looking at the truly long-term lunar stay uh, with the Artemis architecture being planned, if all goes well, um, uh, certainly, despite the delays, you know. So yeah. I think that in itself is going to be a huge learning opportunity for uh, uh, deep space travel at large for, for humans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a jumping point to Mars if you can, if you can actually 
uh, do it successfully. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and, and the other point that you're raising about is that uh, it's not just NASA doing it there. You're sort of bringing in the, um, you know, the private enterprises along as well and um, truly creating a cycle of innovation that sort of uh, feeds back into the, the, the mission of, of getting to moon and beyond. Um, and so uh, where does ISRO stand in, in all of this? Obviously, we had the Zion 3 land successfully. And, and so what's up next? So, yeah, Chandrayaan 3, well, of course, it was amazing. Um, we all loved it. Uh, we all loved the moment of the touchdown of the Vikram lander. Uh, and the good thing is that it was only a start for ISRO uh, in the sense that uh, the success of Chandrayaan 3 has truly increased confidence uh, both within ISRO and it seems like within the Indian government as well. To you know, for ISRO to take on bolder, bigger, even bolder and even bigger missions uh, to the moon. So shortly after Chandrayaan three, the Indian government announced, along with ISRO, uh, that they would be undertaking a series of Chandrayaan missions, each of which will be increasingly complex and ultimately lead up to sending a sending a crew to the moon, right? And uh, that the, the the ambitious goal set for that sent for sending humans to the moon is currently by 2040. Uh, the, but honestly, the year is not what matters. It's the announcement that matters, mm-hmm. and the fact that even before that, the announcement of having a series of increasingly complex Chandrayaan missions is what matters. So that will involve uh, one a sample return mission, which is amazing because. Uh, to date, only three countries have ever bought samples from the moon, uh, namely the US, uh, the Soviet Union, and uh, the former Soviet Union and China. Uh, so India taking on a sample return mission is very exciting, not just technologically, but also for the planetary science community in the country who is growing fast, thanks to the ISRO's planetary missions, which are relatively new. So. Sample return will be a huge boost to our planetary science efforts. Uh, there's also the LOPEX mission, which is a uh, which is a joint mission along with the Japanese space agency JAXA. And LOPEX is a rover. It's a huge rover, in fact, a 350 kilogram rover that will study water ice on the lunar poles, which is the key thing that is drawing everyone to the moon, including NASA and its Artemis plans. Right. So. Uh, so the ISRO JAXA uh, LOOPEX mission will study water ice on the moon's south pole and tell us about the exact nature of the ice, like the physical nature, the chemical nature, uh, and so on. What's its exact composition? and In what state does it exist? In what forms does it exist? For example, uh, does it exist as pure water ice, uh, or sheets of pure water ice, or does it exist as... Um, you know, ice, uh, icy chunks uh, mixed with lunar dusty regolith or or some combination of the two. And if if, if it's some combination, what combination is it? Uh, to and and how does it change with depth and all all those fascinating lunar science things? So uh, obviously, Lupex will not answer every single uh, question to that end, but it will certainly get you started on a lot of things. And uh, as as is often the case with these missions, give you more uh, questions than answers to follow up on. That's so that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and after that, the path is murky yet because these two are already ambitious missions. Uh, so after that, ISRO will take on some more missions. 
um and in the meanwhile the gaganyaan uh, crude missions to earth orbit will also happen and then eventually both of these chandrayaan and gaganyaan paths will converge to you know to the moon when we send humans there uh, and throughout all of these uh, if i might add since india is a signee of the artemis accords and indian us collaboration has been growing most recently with the notable announcements of the uh, wide swath collaboration between the india us on advanced technological fronts uh, and also india being uh, you know part of the quad uh, uh, quad group of countries the us japan australia and india uh, wherein we have good ties with both japan and australia and they both are involved in lunar exploration so along this entire path of having increasingly complex chandrayaan missions will certainly see uh quite a few uh quite a few uh, instances of collaboration or at least that's my hope yeah yeah that 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 makes a lot of sense because it's fairly complicated to uh not only get out uh you know of, of earth orbit but actually uh have a human survive those conditions and then live long longer and do other things um and do science that's that's, that's a lot of a uh, lot of things that are already coupled together and it's fairly complicated um and um so uh i, I believe this year uh, or last year uh the indian government also clarified the space strategy um and and so what is the impact of that so one of the biggest impacts i think uh, of the new space policy that india the indian government released i believe in april is that uh it explicitly mentions uh, resource utilization of planetary uh, bodies right uh that's something that india never formally took a stance on earlier mm-hmm. uh, however it did so now yes uh so the moon is obviously the biggest candidate in the sky uh, for that where uh, the water ice we spoke of is of obvious value to that end where in principle you could you know extract the water ice and also and then split it into uh, or, or extract that water ice and purify it to drink uh, uh for you know uh purified for astronauts to bring on long duration lunar stays or even split that uh, water into hydrogen and oxygen for consumption as fuel or breathable air uh, and so on and so forth but water ice is not the only uh, resource of use on the moon uh, the soil itself uh, is very useful because the soil has something like uh, on average 40% uh, oxygen right in it as as oxides uh and the rest is definitely metals obviously so the uh both the metals and the oxygen are useful so the lunar soil itself is nearly 100% uh you know uh useful as uh as resources if you are able to separate those and and, right. and utilize it for some sort and like you know construction on the moon or breathable air or whatever else so so that is also of value and i think with these increasingly complex chandrayaan missions and opening up of the private sector uh, and so on and, and partnerships with nasa uh, india is definitely taking a very uh, wide uh, view of you know keeping the keeping the possibility open to see if uh, resource extraction is something that's viable and if it's viable then we should certainly have the technologies to use it now the debate of you know the ethics of it is a very complicated one 
but that's that's something uh, for the UN, the Artemis Accords, and other uh, mechanisms to look at, and so on, of course, obviously, and it's not something that should be ignored. But uh, from a purely technical perspective, the possibility is right here, uh, and, and and certainly no nation, uh, as far as we can tell, uh, doesn't want to be part of that uh, front. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, talking about you know um, other missions, uh, where does China stand in all of this, and uh, and is it hard to track their progress as well? Because you know, for a casual observer, it it, it seems like it's always a surprise that that China did something. But how does it seem to you? So yeah, I think first of all, I think we should be thankful to China in certain ways, in the sense that. Uh, it's because of the successful China's Changi missions, uh, and especially Changi three and four, and uh, Changi one, two, three, and four, that we essentially have Artemis to begin with, because the, it's the it's the Changi mission that that acted as a key catalyst for the U.S. to revive their uh, return to the moon. Um, uh, of course, the, the other catalyst being the discovery of uh, lunar water ice by Chandrayaan one. Uh, so that's certainly it, and India also, uh, in some part, uh, due to the uh, due to our geopolitical relations with China, uh, has uh, decided to pursue the Chandrayaan mission. So I think credit due where it should be due. But uh, yeah, so but the thing is that uh, so China is uh, has obviously had a very successful Changi program. It has orbited the moon, landed on the moon twice. One of which has been on the far side. One of which, one of the others, has been a sample return moon mission. Uh, and now they are eyeing for much more. They are going to do a sample return from the far side, um, and then they are going to do a lunar south pole prospecting mission for water ice, um, and then they will do a lunar. Um, uh, they will do Changi Eight, which is a mission to um, to to send uh, a ton of cargo to the moon. Uh, as a starting basis for their eventual uh, research base on the moon called the International Lunar Research Station, uh, okay. which is something that they are making great progress towards. So it will be like a sort of a long-term lunar base from where uh, a lot of robotic activity will always continue and crewed missions can keep coming uh, every now and then, uh, starting with late 2030. So China has... Uh, huge plans basically on par with Artemis, I would say, uh, mm-hmm. on, you know, uh, on, on ensuring that, uh, or at least making the effort to ensure that, you know, they have a continuous presence on the moon. But in terms of tracking it, it's certainly hard because uh, unlike NASA, uh, China doesn't do a lot of news releases or PR or, or whatever you call it. But it does do some announcements, so it's not like it's completely zero. Uh, the, the CNSA website uh, does have quite a few announcements uh, relatively frequently, uh, mm-hmm. wherein they do tell about uh, these missions and contacts and whatnot and partnerships that they onboarded or payloads payloads of foreign customers that are going to fly on board these missions. For example, uh, Changi 6, 7, and 8, all of them have uh, or will have foreign payloads on the mission, including many European ones. So these announcements are made uh, by China. Uh, at the same time, there's research papers where a lot of the Chinese uh, scientists are very active in uh, publishing a lot of research related to the space program. 
So mm-hmm. you often find a ton of details on their missions uh, via these research papers if you, you know, kind of figure out where to uh, track them or, 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 you know, join certain mailing lists of, uh, you know, planetary scientists or whoever where such papers tend to be shared. Uh, so it's difficult, but it's I, I wouldn't say it's impossible uh, for sure. Uh, obviously, the problem here is that the fact-checking is what is more difficult rather than the news coming in. Uh, because you won't have easy access to these researchers or scientists or so on, and they would certainly uh, not, uh, they'll certainly be careful to not tell you anything if at all they care to respond. So in most cases, uh, so I think the the fact-taking part is more troublesome rather than just getting the information. Yeah. yeah. And of course, there's also the, you know, there's also a lot of, reporters dedicated to covering China space, like Andrew Jones, for example, and the China Monitor and so on. So the, uh, of course, following them is always a great idea because they know the agency better than most people out there. So uh, kind of trusting them uh, makes sense. Yeah. Um, And so um, is there any other space program that, you know, folks should know about? well, I would say it's hard to tell because <laughs> I think if I were to pick one, um, it would be uh, it, it would be South Korea space program because I think they're doing some really interesting things. They're fairly new. They don't even have a space agency yet, although they have passed a uh, resolution recently to form one. Uh, but they did that didn't stop them from sending their first lunar orbiter called KPLO, Korea Pathfinder Lunar Orbiter. Uh, which very much like Chandrayaan 1 was a collaborative effort with NASA. Uh, and just like Chandrayaan 1, they also had a NASA instrument on board and NASA scientists on board the mission uh, and so on. And they used that to develop indigenous capabilities, uh, which now they are feeding forward to make uh, future uh, lunar missions, including a fully indigenously built lunar lander, not very dissimilar to the Chandrayaan 2 and 3 uh, you know, style. So and and they will be launching it on their own rocket, uh, mm. which is also again very similar to how ISRO has been operating. Um, so I think South Korea's uh, space program is uh, interesting. They have big ambitions, even though they have come late to the party, but they they know what they need to do and and they seem to be set going about it. So awesome. Um, maybe a, a more philosophical question. Um, you know, I was talking to my four-year-old about, you know, how we landed on the moon in 1969. And, and he stopped me and asked, like, who is we? Uh, certainly it wasn't me or, or my family who did it, but, you know, it's, it's a collective achievement. And, and so I wonder if, if, uh, if we will ever truly ex- explore as, as human species together. Hmm. Uh, I mean, as much as uh, my view of that is that as much as I'd like for that to happen, uh, I don't think that's likely soon enough because, you know, just because of the geopolitical situation around. Um, and I think your four-year-old is perfectly, uh, has has made such an astute observation about me uh, that it, it basically questions every such article in existence. Uh, <laughs> so uh, kudos to uh, him or her for that. Uh, so I, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I think we we it's it's uh, well, it's a it's a tricky thing. So uh, 
because we what we tend to see and by we i mean readers of the world uh, tend to see is that if if the if the west achieves something it's typically spun as we in the media mm-hmm. but the uh, china achieves something uh, it's typically uh, you know interpreted as china achieving something uh, and if india achieves something it's sometimes we and sometimes india and so on so there certainly right. is discrepancy uh, that we shouldn't ignore in fact i mean uh, it, it's a uh, it's something that people should ponder upon and realize you know when the term we is more relevant to use and when it is not uh, so if 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 talking about the international space station we is reasonably good to use because it's genuinely a multinational collaborative effort but if you're talking about mostly you know uh, missions funded by individual agencies then maybe not uh, even if they are great missions i mean no no harm intended to the missions or 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 its value but uh, certainly uh, the uh, who did it should be very clear yeah yeah absolutely um sorry having a little bit of uh, interference from the sun uh, as mm-hmm. expected <laughs> um yeah so um that was that was uh, a really good um i think sort of closing thoughts um um and um but i want to ask you is this something that we didn't get to um and, and you would like to talk about in like context of all that we have spoken today um i think just one thing i mean we talked about a lot of things and i think you also covered a lot of the ground um the only thing i would say is to whoever is listening and if you like the topic of space and moon just subscribe to my blog it's free and uh, it it, it it means a lot and i i i will uh, if you love space and the moon i'm i'm pretty sure i will make it worth your time to to be subscribed to my blog yeah absolutely and uh, if anything i can you know definitely endorse that um you know we were traveling through space together and that's something that we have to keep in mind um and thank you jatin for your time and uh, uh hopefully we'll do another one yeah, yeah thanks for, for having me all right take bye care bye.